Welcome to the Labcast by IAOA with your host, Captain Dave Jackson. Hey, 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 all you Collabcast listeners, this is Captain Dave Jackson coming to you from an absolutely sunny Hendersonville, Tennessee. We've got about 65 and sunny today. It's gorgeous. It's spring weather in February is when we're recording. And uh, I can't I can't really say I'm, I can complain too much because it's really, really beautiful today. I want to welcome uh, our guest today, Linda Fisher. Linda is from the good state of Michigan. She's from up north. Traverse City area, which is a beautiful area, if any of you had a chance to go there. Linda, welcome to Collabcast. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. I got to admit, I have never been to Traverse City. You're missing out. It's a beautiful area. I've been to the UP, the Upper Peninsula, for those who don't know. But I came in from like the Canadian side. Oh, yeah. And then we... I think trek. This is years ago. I might have been in high school, and then we trek back through Wisconsin. I remember oh, okay. that part. Yeah. Down, um, down the highway along the so coast, uh, Thunder Bay down to Duluth. Yeah. That that whole neck of the woods. Yeah. But um, never been to TC, <laughs> as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. But um, you were just telling me before we went on air that you guys are having. An unusually warm winter. It's great. Yeah, we really had a month of winter. A month. It didn't snow until January, and it's gone. And it's, you know, 50 and raining. It's just really strange and huh. not good for and our seasonal places. And for those that don't know, your, your area is known as the ski capital of the state. So It is. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of places to go skiing and snowboarding and all snowmobiling. A lot of snowmobilers and trails and stuff here, and they're all dead right now. Races, right. you know, snowmobile races that are put on. Right, right. So you guys are relying on snow. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad it's not here, but. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> but those in that industry yeah. are crying the blues yes, right now. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyway, thanks for being on. Uh, you've been a long time member of IOA. I don't know. I didn't even look it up, honestly. Um, Probably close I, to the beginning. It was when I. Yeah, I'm not even sure how you guys found me because I got an in invitation to join and there were 200 i remember there were 262 members so holy cow you guys hadn't had you hadn't had your first iaoa yet nope the conference that you had nope. there so we started you know we just celebrated our um, 10 year anniversary a week ago yeah so late january of 14 so sometime during 14 we would have got to the 200 and some member mm-hmm. mark Yep. Because when we first met was in January of 15 right. in California, and I think we we're several hundred members at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then our next year was our first true conference in San Antonio. I think right. you made it to that one. Yeah, I spoke at that one. Yep. 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 Very cool. So you're an OG. Uh, yes. For being so young looking. Makes me sound old too. So anyway, thanks for I just, coming on. Uh, I know people are going to want to hear who are listening. They're going to hear about your background in insurance because it's basically all you've done in your career. Yeah. Me too. It's the only industry I know. But my number one question I ask every guest is how did you didn't plan for insurance? I'm am I right? I don't right. know too many people that do. No. It's usually accidental. Mm-hmm some way, shape, or form. So give us your story. How did you land in the insurance industry? So I answered an ad right after high school. I decided not to go to college. 
and answered an ad to answer phones at an insurance agency to help pay for the local college. I didn't go away to college, but it, that, my game plan was to go to away to a college, and I decided not to do that. And so I answered an ad to answer phones at an insurance agency. And after eight months of answering phones, he made me a CSR. And about six months after that, I was a sales producer and was a 100% commission producer from the age of 20 until I started my own agency 20 years ago. So, and that's what it was started. That's a rough start. I mean, that's not a traditional way of getting into the business. Zero draw, zero salary, calling people while they're having dinner, calling from the phone book back then, you know, from five to seven. I'd make phone calls every day, every day, five to seven, five days a week, four days a week. We didn't do Friday. So, but I so wrote a lot did, of business that way. Did you do your office work job and I, then do producer work after I did hours? three days a week. I did the calls after I would work oh. and he'd let me come in. I'd come in later. I'd come in at 10 o'clock instead of eight o'clock on those days mm. and stay till gotcha. seven. And the purpose of doing that was so you could earn money to go to college. It was. Hey, later, I was going to college. I was working full time and then going to college either two nights, depending on the call schedule or four nights a week as an honor. And I was a double honor student. So, and I had a double major. So yeah, it was a lot. Hmm. That's a lot. I did that for two years, thought. and then I f- thought I'm putting myself through all this. Newly married, and you know, college plus working full time plus, and said I love this industry. I really did. I I fell in love with insurance pretty quickly, and mm-hmm. just said, why am I taking these college courses? So, is your story as to why you love the industry the same as what I hear from most all people? You just have a love for helping people. I do. I have a love for helping people. And I also love the challenge of figuring it all out. What can happen? Who can sue? What can, what are your premises exposures? What, you know, I, I love large commercial accounts with several entities where I can just figure it all out. How's it going to play out? Where are your exposures? I love that challenge of digging in and figuring it all out. Okay, and then just, very cool. just explaining that to people who've never really been kind of taken care of in insurance. They've just been sold a product. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a, a, a preposition here, a supposition. So you worked for this agency for 20 years before you started your... Nope. I worked for them for four years, and then I had a headhunter came and found me and oh. hired me away to a large agency. I was in a okay. nearby... I, I wasn't in Traverse City, then I was in a nearby town like 20 miles from here. And uh, this headhunter found me because I was writing commercial and personal lines insurance and writing quite a bit of it. And... Uh, hired me away for a large agency and uh, worked okay. for them until they got bought out and then worked for that employer until I left and started my own um, 20 years ago this July. Actually, I started my agency mm-hmm. from scratch. Yeah. I noticed, uh, according to my notes here, uh, 19 years and eight months. So you're just a few months away from your 20 year anniversary. Yeah. So the, the uh, impetus for you to leave and say, here's what I'm thinking you probably said. You know, why should I do this work for someone else when I can do it for myself? Is that why you went and started no, your own? No, I started my own because the decisions that were being made, I didn't agree with. Gotcha. And a third of the clients were my clients. And I stepped up and said, how do I become an owner? How do I buy in? And the two men that owned the agency, one with half my experience, both said, you can't for another 10 years. Um, and it's not that they were doing things wrong, but... They would do things that, in my opinion, were not to the benefit of the insured, but were to the benefit of the agency. And so there were just several Mm -hmm. things that had happened. Clients of mine sent away that came with their 
checkbook and ready to sign an application and the agency would send them away because they didn't have an appointment. So decisions like that, oh, yeah. that I just, they went through this phase where they said, we're like, a, we're like a doctor's office. And if you don't have an appointment, you can't see us. So just different decisions like that, that I just didn't think were in the best interest of the client that I didn't agree with. And I wanted to say, I at least wanted to vote. And when they flat out told me, no, I'd have to wait another 10 years. And I had already been doing it, you know, for 16 years. But that didn't work for me, so. Why another 10 years? Was that their arbitrary they, number? Yeah, just... and I'm not sure why, because the one owner actually married the owner's daughter, and he had nine years to my 16, and he still thought I needed 10 years of experience to, before I'd be ready to be an owner. So, hmm. and it's fine. It worked out for the best. I've excelled at this, but um, it was it was a difficult situation. And it, here's the thing. When you go to start on in your own agency, I never really thought of the whole aspect of being an employer and a mentor and a boss, right? It was just writing insurance, writing clients. And so that was my biggest struggle. It wasn't opening the agency, really getting appointments. That was difficult, but it wasn't as what it is today. Um, it was learning to be a leader and being somebody people wanted to work for. That was, that's been my long journey to really figure that out. Good for you. So am I right in that? Your agencies before you started your own, they were independent agencies, yes. correct? Correct. So you never had the captive world no. experience. No. Okay. So when you decided to go out on your own, was it a given you were going to start an independent agency or did you even consider the captive side? I was actually approached. So I took about six months just to be with, my, you know, our son at the time was an infant baby. And so I took about six months just to be home and be a mom. And traveled a little bit with my husband then and with the baby and, and just kind of took some time to figure this out. How do I build an agency? And I did get recruited and called by a few Farm Bureau, a Farm Bureau agent in particular, a state farm, a farmer's agent. And they all wanted me to at least come talk to them. So I did. I gave them the courtesy of that. And, you know, what I told the one here in town was at the end of the day, there are clients with me today that have been with me since I started in my career. But they're not with the same company I had them with when I started my career. But they're still with me. And I can say that today. I can say that I still have 11 out of 14 clients that have been with me since 1988. And wow. none of them are with the same company, but they're all with me. So that's the that's the big, big plus of an independent agency. Okay. So you knew that going in. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah. You're going to remain an independent. Yeah. Okay. So back then, 20, almost 20 years ago, what was it like going out securing carrier appointments? Did you know the carriers you needed? I did. And I, I, I really had it much easier than some people because I served on our local state board. So the carriers knew me. They knew who I was. They knew my history and my background. And I was very, you know, I served on young agents. I chaired young agents. I was in the executive state board for the state of Michigan for the insurance industry. So I knew the players and they knew me. That didn't lead to direct appointments right away. It took me, my, our biggest carrier is auto owners. And I approached auto owners and they, again, they knew me and they turned me down flat. And see the there, everybody listening, see there. Yeah. The president said, I know that you write quality business, but I don't know that you know how to run a business. And it was hard and to it, hear that, but it was, he was it's right. kind of funny that that matters to them. It to did. me, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it did. Well, and I, I, I get it. To a certain point, because if you get an appointment with a company like that and then you can't handle your agency and you, you know, the finances and the, you know what I mean? It could be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So I, I get it. But as somebody who was as young as I was and who was um, 
thinking it would be a, a breeze to get appointments because they know me. <laughs> it was a tail between the legs. I cannot believe he said no to me. And I went back after it eight months later and um, was in line with four other agencies. There were five of us up for that appointment, and I did get it after about three months of interviews with everybody. But okay. but it wasn't automatic, but I did not. Um, you know, I looked into, like, SIAA, and at the time, SIAA had, and I know they have different deals for the years and different sections and stuff. Depending on their master. Exactly. Agency, yeah. But at the time, when I looked at all the paperwork, you had to be a part of it for 10 years. And if you wanted to buy out after 10 years, you had to pay them 50% of the value of your agency. And I said, mm -hmm. I just wanted to dance a while. I didn't want to get married. I just wanted to dance for right. a few years and then buy out. That's a little heavy. Much, yeah, that's, yeah, 50% of buying back. Why wouldn't I have a partner if I'm going to do that? So, um, right. so I struggled. I didn't have anywhere to put high net worth clients at the time. So for about eight months, I only had three carriers in my agency. So, hmm. see, that just goes to tell, show you, you don't need 10, 20, 100 yeah. agents, uh, carriers. You don't need that to get five. started. Yeah. Yeah. Right now? Yeah. Yeah. Five I'm, carriers. We do. We have five main carriers. I mean, we have access to, you know, like the right, main, you right. Know, You're one off. ENS and stuff. Yeah. But five main carriers, and that's, that's plenty for us. So, you know, six agents. That's plenty. right, right, right. So, who are those? Five carriers. Auto Owners is the largest one. Auto, Auto Owners, mm -hmm. Pioneer State Mutual, um, Hastings Mutual, Progressive, and Wolverine Mutual. So three of so them are Three of those carriers. five are mutuals mutual and carriers. unique to the state of Michigan. Um, yeah, right. One of them is in Michigan. Or regional. And in, yeah. It, yeah. They're domiciled here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Three of them are domiciled here. Yeah. So that again, that's a good point that shows you here's an agency like you that doesn't need all the nationals. Right. You can do, I mean, auto owners is uh, pretty much national, yeah. but uh, and obviously progressive is, but mm -hmm. you don't need all the Safegos and the Travelers right. and the Liberties and the Nationwides and, you know, all the big Hartfords, all the big ones uh, to manage an agency successfully, because right. I know you run a, a very successful agency. So for those who don't know, give us a snapshot of your agency. What does your agency look like? In terms of size, in terms, you just told us how many carriers. Uh, you can tell us in terms of employees, premium, uh, policy count, what's that all look like? Yeah, so we've got six licensed agents now. I just hired the sixth one. So we have six licensed agents, but that includes my son, who does our IT, our analytics, our website stuff, and he's also an agent um, that sells some small personal lines. Um, we have two full-time virtual assistants, and we'll be bringing a third back that we had before. We'll be bringing her on this um, September. So three virtual assistants who truly do act as full-time assistants for the agents. We have um, just over 2,000 clients and we have um, our policy count is 2.2 policies per client is what we average. Um, and a large portion of our client base is more of the white collar, higher net worth, and probably 20% um, are seasonal, reside in another state and have a seasonal okay. cottage or home on the water here. Gotcha. How much of your policies, how many of your policies are based in Michigan? Probably 70 to 80%. Okay. And we but also you do have we now write business in, in other states. We do. We, yeah, we write in seven other states now, but it's only because our clients have property there. So it's a combination. It is. Business. That's it. We're not marketing in those states. We're not trying to write business. It's just taking care of our clients. Would you, so you talked about high net worth, but uh, so I will I'll call that a niche or a niche. Mm -hmm. you have any other areas of expertise? Construction. 
construction okay. builders, developers, flippers, you know, condo developers, homeowner association developers. Um, we did quite a bit of that. We were just talking about how we survived, um, you know, December because December you're getting all your one, one renewals for your contractors. And that's, it's a lot of, mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so December's are very, very stressful here. So um, that's really the only niche that all these years that I've really just kind of lucked into from doing his, you know, one client's personal lines. And all of a sudden I just, I, I do a lot of construction. How did construction happen? Was it because it's happening in your area? And so you're almost it is forced, well, but. Well, and if you get in, if you're, if you're doing developments, if you're doing condo and homeowner association developers and you get with an attorney that writes all of those contracts, because I, you know, they have to have, they have to have contracts between the developing entity and the, the contractor. When you get in with an attorney, local attorney that knows that you know what you're doing, reading bylaws and master deeds and how to put the insurance together and how to ensure the developing entity, they will refer you to their clients. And we've got two of them here in our town that specialize in construction contracts. So so your centers of influence aren't necessarily like purse lines agents who have mortgage lenders and realtors as their centers of influence. Yours are more from CPA attorney side because it's on the business side of the. Right. So I I have um, a lot of realtors just because I served the local women's council realtors for years, but I have a lot of financial planners because, and we've talked about this before. I have that special license in Michigan where I get paid by the hour to review insurance. And I do that for, I have now nine um, financial planners that I do that for all the way from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is four hours South of us. Um, And then I'm working on getting one a little further North of us as well. So that keeps me busy reviewing insurance policies. Okay, very cool. So you mentioned uh, your son. His name is Logan. Right. There's a lot of us in the industry. I have two kids. Mm-hmm. They're both in their late 30s. No interest in the insurance industry. I have a doctor and an engineer, yeah. oh, and wow. they're doing just fine. They're yeah. doing probably oh, yeah. better than me. <laughs> but how did it go with Logan? Was that something you nudged him, or did he was he interested from you know a diaper? Or how'd that all go? Um, I actually try, I keep trying to chase him away. Um, <laughs> I I really didn't want him coming into the business until he went to work for somebody else, right? I thought that was important. That's mm-hmm. kind of what had been handed down to me from agency owners was, yeah, my kid will probably end up here, but I want him to work for somebody else first, and that made sense to me. With it Logan, does in a lot of from a lot of angles, yeah, yep. for a lot of reasons. Um, Logan was pretty determined that he wanted to sit in my chair. You know, we play golf together all the time. And he's like, if I get this one in, you're going to give me 1% ownership. You know, he's really big. He's big on wanting ownership. Um, the thing is that Logan and I have completely different concepts of customer service. And I tell people this all the time. There's not as big of a difference between my father's age generation and mine, but there's a huge difference between mine and Logan's because of technology and AI technology, huge. And so for me, it's the sitting across from the table with the client or going out to a construction site or, you know, we're talking about writing this big farm place here. And the agent came to me and said he would like for you to come out with me. And so for us to be on site with people, that's not his generation. That's not his. His thing is technology. His thing is connecting via the Internet and texting and, and all of that. So, um, So he wants to sit there and go like this. You got it. Say, okay, I'll e-doc you. Yep. Hang on. QBI would be great for him. <laughs> Quote, buy, and issue. That's him all day long, right? Yep. No interaction. Yep. But he's getting into it. He's getting into commercial. He enjoys commercial. But what's been really great about Logan is, and I said this at, in Chicago, you know, 90, 95% of the time, he and I work extremely well together because he'll say, mom, why are you doing this this way? 
And I'll think about it and go, it's robotic. We've been doing it that way forever. But you're right. We need to think of a different way of doing this. And, and he'll add in some automation and stuff. And then the other percent of the time, I keep telling him to update his resume because he drives me nuts with ideas that I don't agree with. You know, he'll have an idea and say like this, you know, I bought a building during COVID. I bought an office and he wants to close the office and have 100 percent remote. I've done, you know, probably 70 percent remote, 30 percent in the office. So there are certain things that we're not going to agree on just because I'm, I have that old fashioned face to face relationship building sales mentality. And for him, it's technology, quick, get it done and, and move. So we'll see if that changes because he is getting really interested in commercial and is looking to take commercial classes, insurance classes. And I think it's because, like I said earlier, it's more of a challenge for him. He doesn't yeah. want to And there's a whole lot, in my opinion, there's a whole lot more to learn. Yeah, there is. On the commercial side. There is, definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's just so many, so much different than two cars and a home, and mm -hmm. uh, which is personalized, this is vast majority. It and uh, there's so many different nuances with from one business to the next. Right. So, yeah, good for you to right. recognize that mm -hmm. and to tell him, listen, you're going to need some education. Yep. Probably practical mm -hmm. on the job education yep. and some book learning. Right. Both. Yeah, I've given him some of my, he wanted to take a class and I said, I've got all these books right behind me. 36 years of classes. They're right in mm -hmm. seven designations. Mm -hmm. They're right behind me. So he's grabbed yep. a few of them, which I was shocked. Mm. So anyway, so it's a good, it, it really, what's nice about that too, is I've taken some of the operations and assigned them to him in January. So any technology issues in the agency, computer issues, any of that stuff, I don't handle it anymore. He handles well, it directly. Well, that's good. Yeah. He's probably the type of person to, to do that kind yeah. of thing. Figure it out. It's yeah. his jam. Exactly. And he's good at it, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. He's very good at it. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Cool. So you just brought up something that was uh, was one of the questions I had for you. Here's the letters you have to after your name. These are designations. Oh. <laughs> CP, CPRIA, CPRM, LIC, AAI, CIC, LUTCF. Some folks are going to recognize some of those. Probably the most prominent one is CIC. Uh, LUTCF, I took that, what, back in the 80s? <laughs> That was uh, one of the first things they put you through, yeah. which is Life Underwriter Training Council Fellow. Right. And uh, you get a designation. It's two years, once a month, once a week. I forget how long. When but. I took them, they were 26 weeks long, the classes. And then they, oh, about okay. three years into it, they went to 13-week classes. But it was 26 yeah, weeks, they've once changed. a week. Yeah, they morphed over the years. But yeah. um, uh, I took that, and I don't even put that after my name in it because nobody knows what it means. Right. But CIC is a really prominent one. So my question for you regarding all that, obviously education is important to you because from what I can tell in your bio, uh, those first two I read, those are recent, like in the last five years. Those are the high net worth. So, those are both high net yes, worth Yes, Right. So tell the folks why you believe that keeping yourself educated is important. Well, I think we're always learning, especially in this hard market. I'll tell you, there's some things going on that are just beyond crazy with, with companies non-renewing across you know entire books of businesses. Um, so I think anytime that you have to play in the ENS market, you better be educated about what you're doing. And I know for a fact, agents that are coming to me, you know, wanting to place some things that they really just should not be playing in that arena because they're not reading the forms. And so I think you need to keep yourself educated. You know, I do a lot of construction. What's a big thing for construction? Pollution liability, digging up a site and finding whatever, you know, whether it's remains or whether it's a tank. Um, so, you know, things like that, it just, especially when you're an agency owner and you're running the business and you're doing everything from fixing the wallpaper to the, to the computer and the printer and the, you know, selling and HR, 
I think a lot of times you forget to update yourself on what's changing in the industry. What are the new things that are being, you know, whether it's whether it's cyber liability, have you presented that to every client? Have every, has every client signed off? Has every client signed off on Epley? We don't talk about Epley as much, but it's still there. So I think the more you go to those classes, not only do you learn things, but it reminds you that, oh, we, need, we, need, we needed to get a waiver for that. Oh, we need to talk about that with our agents and educate them and go, hey, when you are talking with the client and they mention that they bought all this land and they're going to do a development and dig up a bunch of land and you know where it's at and it's, you know, old Mission Peninsula, there's stuff buried out there. Maybe we don't want to know what's buried out there. So I think it makes you aware too. I think it just makes you more aware as well as educated. Yeah. And for those who didn't catch it, your acronym EPLI, that's E-P-L-I. So Employment practices. Um, yep. What's on the the horizon for Logan. Is he going to get designations? Is that his track? He's working actually on learning the LIC. So when we get a request okay. from a financial planner or an attorney that comes in with their clients, he will actually do the template, the first one, and, and write down the review of the insurance. And then I will go in and update it and tweak it and kind of educate. So he will be going to get his LIC. So if something does happen to me, we have somebody in the office who's qualified to continue that with our financial planners because we've been doing it Um I've been doing it since 2000, the year 2000. So um, we would want someone to carry that forward. That's a, that's a big piece of what we do. So he is learning that. Beyond that, I don't know. We're going to kind of just play it by ear with him. And we've had a very frank discussion that even ownership, he just needs to mature into it. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's fair. Also in your bio, you talk a lot about your volunteer work. You call yourself a volunteer junkie. Mm -hmm. And from what... You mentioned earlier the um, Women's Council of Realtor Board right. that you volunteer on and you're on the actual board. So that's an affiliate type thing. You know, that's not insurance, but right. it's uh, related to an industry like what we do mm -hmm. uh, with real estate. So which makes total sense after you talk about how much you do in construction. That makes right. complete sense. So um, talk to us about why is volunteering important to you? You know, it's, I've been volunteering since I was 16. I, um, I, your blood. yeah, it is. And taking care of kids is too. So, um, I started the make a wish chapter here in Traverse city in 2016. I think it is. In fact, I've got five. I just got my fifth. I have five wish kids I'm working on right now with their families and granting wishes. Um, we started our own, we have Cardinals kids now, which is our own nonprofit for us to do things in the local community and our matching program that we do for referrals instead of giving it to a local charity we are giving it to that Cardinals kids. So that way we can decide how to funnel that money, what kids are going to receive that. Um, it's, kids have always been big for me to take care of. Um, I came from a, um, a very broken home and a very um, tragic um, home life as a child. And I think I just want to take care and help as many kids as I can. Okay. So you don't do it because you think it's going to earn you business. Oh. You do it because of the love of it. No. Yep. If business yeah. comes along, that's just a yeah. side benefit, yeah. and that's nowhere near why you do that. But here's my message that I want to hear from you. I want to hear your message. Um, because you talked about Logan and his generation, my kid's generation. You know, um, there's less likelihood or desire for them to want to build and get involved in community, yeah. as you know, as a general term. Um, Yours and my generation, community and relationships, it's the foundation. Right. There's right. nothing else below it. Right. You know, so my fear, and I want to hear your message, my fear is that our kids are, are 
generation that we're bringing into this world are not seeing that. They're not buying into that. They want to pick this thing up, mm-hmm. right? Right. And do business that way. Nobody talks on the phone anymore. It's mm-hmm. all texting and messaging and through apps and right. the whole bit. It's technology. Technology has done that to us. So what's your message to that generation? And how do you see that generation taking community or, or taking the baton and building community as a as a whole? You know, I think this is a very, very difficult topic. And you should have said it to me ahead of time, Dave. Um <laughs> Because it's a tough question well, and it's a tough answer. Well, I know that. And, and our current economy has made it even more difficult. You know, we've pretty much done away with the middle class just with what's going on. And you've got these young people today that have really been priced out of the American dream. These kids are going to have to make $130,000, $150,000 a year just to buy a house right now. So mm-hmm. I don't, I think it's kind of difficult for them to be invested in the community if they can't even buy a home and be part of that community. So this whole thing of kids that are, you know, that are working and in, in, in doing side gigs and, and, you know, not really putting roots down is a concern for me as well. So I don't have the answer for that. All I can do, like I said, with these charities that we have and the things that we do at the kids school is just let them know that they're loved and that relationships do matter, that they can reach out to us. Um, at the end of the day, relationships trump anything that you can do on technology. They just do. Being able to reach out on a phone call to a friend, being able to reach out when you haven't heard from somebody. How do you instill that and teach that in children other than by showing them? I don't have an answer for that. No, none of us have that answer. No. We just, as parents, we do the best we can to have our kids have experiences and lead by example. That's how they'll learn. It really concerns me, though, that you know, kids don't want to socialize. I know. Uh, the especially grand, you know, grandkid, our grandkids' generation, they grow up with a phone in their hand at age two months, and they don't know anything else but the iPad and and mm-hmm. all the digital devices. Yeah. So, where's that going to take us? Uh, it's a slippery slope. No, none of us have the answer. Well, and, we're going to Lo- find out in ten to twenty years. Logan is, you know, he's been trying to work on his his side gig, so to speak other than investing, is building a portfolio of rentals. So dealing with real estate agents, the majority of the real estate agents are not in his age group. And they will right. call you by 8 tomorrow morning. If you want to call him, you're done. He's not working with you. You have to text him. <laughs> and yep. so I have made that very clear to realtors that I connected him with, since I have so many realtors that are friends, and said, if you don't text him back, if you want to try to pick up the phone and call him, he's not going to answer. So it does, it does bother me. You know, He'll pick up the phone for people he knows, but... Only for his buddies, you know, or me. Right. You know? And only because I they know me yeah. or it's important enough, they'll <laughs> yeah. send me a text. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. so, yeah, that does, um, that concerns me. Me for, too. For sure. So, uh, the other, another question I want to ask you about is um, technology. And you've got Logan. Most people don't have a Logan in their agency. They're doing it, trying to do it themselves as an owner. And, you know, there's so many shiny objects that come mm-hmm. pop up every, I mean, by the week. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, you know. Yeah. So you've got somebody to take care of that. But when you didn't, or now when you do need to get involved, how do you go about sorting out the shiny objects? Like, could you ever see yourself moving to a new AMS system? Not now. I just did it in 2018. 
And six years ago. Yeah. 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 And here's the thing is I did not realize I've always had this affliction. (laughs) That's what I'll call it. Analysis paralysis. But I didn't really have a name for it until a few years ago because I would just research and research and research something to death to make sure, you know, I'm a perfectionist, make sure it's the right thing. And then I would just stop, get just short of pulling the trigger and stop doing it because then something new came on board. Oh, I got to research this one now. And and all it did really was stop me from changing, stop me from switching. So I had the same agency management system, Doris, from the time that I opened the doors, because back then Doris didn't require you to have a server and I couldn't afford a server back then, just opening the doors. And so I went with Doris and kept them until I the reports were horrible until I finally, and I, it took me almost three years of research. I'm not joking because then I picked a system after about a year and a half, I picked a system and then I got some bad news on that system. So that I had to start all over <laughs> and I spreadsheeted everything I wanted in a system. And what did I have to do? And you'd finally decide and then they go, Oh, but this one does texting. Oh wait. Yeah. I want texting too. <laughs> so it was a nightmare. And so finally, um, I finally narrowed it down to two different companies and one of them had a problem with one of our carriers, Pioneer. And no matter how long I talked to the company or the AMS, they kept blaming each other. And I finally said, we're, we're just going to go with this other one. The technology we did adopt, and I'll give you an example. So we have Hawksoft as our agency management system. Love it. We have Agency Zoom. I know how to get in and do some things, but Logan pretty much runs Agency Zoom. But I, we seriously had that about three months when Logan said, Mom, you can only choose the first named insured. So if you're talking to Bob Smith, but Tina Smith's the first named insured, everything's going to go to Tina. And I said, well, forget, we're not paying that anymore. Just forget it. He goes, you don't dump the whole thing. (laughs) Just because one thing's wrong. He's like, mom, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) So we still have them. There's a workaround. Exactly. He fought for them. So we still have them today. But I was of the thing that if it's not perfect, get rid of it and move on. Let's find something else. (laughs) And fortunately, (laughs) he was like, no, mom, it's going to do everything else that we need. We're not starting over with something else. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So it's good to have a mind like that in your agency because they're <laughs> a nice they're balance system. Good, good balance. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going to ask you about what called your tech stack. So this would be a question for Logan, but yep. Hawksoft is your AMS, yep. Agency Zoom is your CRM. Correct. And you use what else besides those two pieces so of software? So Lightspeed Voice is our okay. VoIP, um, which does yep. work in connection with Hawksoft. Um, we use Formstack in connection with Hawksoft for eSign. Um, so texting is built in where? And um, through Hawksoft, through with Lightspeed yep. through Hawksoft. Yep, we do that. Okay. Um, we do have Zapier, but I don't understand it, and I don't use it, and I don't think really Logan's really done much with it. Um, but that's over an agency Zoom. For, I don't know. We're zapping stuff. I don't know what we're zapping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> zaps. They're called zaps. Yeah, I don't know. What zaps are just little bits of code that are written so that... Yeah. It's connecting. Uh, software A talks to software exactly. B. Exactly, it's connecting. Yeah, so. basically connecting software yeah. to software. That's what I transferred um, to Logan. <laughs> me too. Yeah, that you know that's yeah. that's a perfectly good thing. Our generation is great on the relationship side of things, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the millennials and Gen whatever it is now, Gen Double A or right. Z, I think. Um, <laughs> they're. Uh, they're the tech folks. They're tech savvy. They're yeah. good at it. I would hire a VA to do my tech stuff before I would try to attempt it. Right. Uh, by far, every day of the week. So, yeah. yeah. One of the other things I saw on your bio was you're a travel addict. So mm-hmm. I know um, 
Auto Owners has sent you on numerous trips because you've been a top producer for them. So you've been able to go in the States, abroad, but beyond carrier trips, tell us about your travel life and what's on your bucket list. So for this year, I decided that I didn't want to do an auto owner's trip for me. One of our, one of the agents is going, one of our agents is going on that. Um, okay. I make it available for them every year if they meet certain you know, qualifications. But even though we cool. earned two trips this year, I just didn't want to do a trip. I wanted to, it's, it's great to travel with them. Don't get me wrong. They pull out the cart, red carpet like you would First believe. class. But you're still with a group of insurance agents. And I just wanted one year where I planned my own. Um, so this year I'm actually uh, doing a spring break, going down to Orange Beach, Alabama, just to golf with, with a friend of mine. Um, so we planned that we're going to see uh, Garth Brooks in July in Vegas, which I'm excited to see him. In concert. Cool. Um, so yeah. And now that I've kind of got more staff and I promoted one of my um, agents to executive team leader. So she's managing the other agents. Um, Logan's doing a lot of the operations. I can breathe a little bit more and be able to travel not so much for business, but for fun. Because I've done a lot of business travel over the last you know, 10 years, a lot. Right. So it'll be nice just to have some fun travel in there. You're coming into your own. That's a nice yeah, feeling. It isn't is. It? It's taken a, It's been a long, long road. And it's. I can finally breathe a little bit this year. And it's really mm-hmm. nice. But you wouldn't trade it for any other I career or tra- no. pr- professional track, would you? No. And no desire to get out of it anytime says. soon. I don't care what aggregator calls. I have no desire to get out of this business anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. Um, so what's on your bucket list? Um, honestly, to buy an Oceanside home. Not sure where nice. yet. But I would like don't a Don't know place. which ocean? No. No. Probably. It, it, the time zone is the issue, right? So I still want to be available for the agents and if I'm over on the West Coast, that makes it a little more difficult with a three-hour time difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I've been kind of researching. You know, I spent a month last year, and I spent the entire month of February at a Airbnb in Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach, on the on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going down and going to spend um, a week and a half in Orange Beach on the ocean in a condo. So I just mm-hmm. ideally I would like from January to April to be out of Northern Michigan when it's not the best weather, and uh, work remotely from somewhere else. So that's my my goal is to is to buy a home somewhere else. Very cool. Yeah. Does the weather get to you as you age? It's not even as I age. It's just that I'm over it because um, <laughs> I've done all the snowmobiling I want to do. You know what? I I've just I've done it, and so I would rather just be somewhere warm and and you know taking a swim, <laughs> not the polar. That's what lunch. happens with that's what happens with the American with Americas mm-hmm. uh, people migrate south oh i know north to south directly we have a lot not too many go from the east coast to the west coast Mm -hmm. they go directly south yeah so if you're on the east coast you're going to go to florida you're going to go to the carolinas you're going to go to the gulf states you know uh if you're over in the northwest you're going to head to arizona or california right so but in your case you're i i understand you want to stay close Mm -hmm. time difference can be a factor yeah so but beyond um uh, secondary home. What's your uh, what's your on your travel bucket list? So I did Rome last year. Rome was nice. Um, Florence. A, a, a week of it was the auto owners trip. Another week of it, we extended to see a lot of places. Um, so that was really nice. Um, Paris. I've always, of course, Paris, Australia. You Ever know. been? No. No. If you do go to Australia 
add in New Zealand. I've heard that I have a friend that's there right now, actually, posting mm -hmm. pictures I saw. I thought New Zealand was cooler than Australia. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's so much I, culture. We have an IAOA member that's there right now, too, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very I, cool. Yeah. And I have a girlfriend that just came back, actually, Saturday. So, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of places that I would like to go and travel. Um, mm -hmm. Places that you haven't been to before? Right. Right. I've been okay. to quite a few places in Europe, but um, it's just such a more laid back place to go. It's, you know, totally. Yeah. It's, and, and even Hawaii. I've had a timeshare in Hawaii for 20 some years and the islands are just so much more relaxing than some of the vacations that you take that there's just tourists everywhere. You, know? right. you can go to Kauai. Right. There's some places in Kauai that are still. Kauai is my favorite island. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. About all the islands. Yeah. yeah. It's so much slower pace. Maui's all touristy. Yeah, exactly. So is uh, Oahu, but Kauai's just like, go hide out in the woods or the <laughs> forest, the rainforest. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, very cool. Um, last uh, kind of questions I want to talk about, because we talk, we mentioned it, but last 2023 was a start of, in our industry, what we call a hard market. Yeah. So what have you had to do to adjust to make the hard market not so hard? So we kind of a, had a, a plan to attack it up front and be honest and forthright with our clients about what's happening. So we are approaching our renewals about 45 days ahead of time to look and see what's jumping, you know, a significant amount. 100% um, of your renewals? No. So we have, we click. Um, tier our clients. We have our client tiering. 100% are getting the email that says, hey, here's what's happening in the industry. Here's a blog that okay. you can read about what's going on and why it's happening. Um, right. And then we're, we're not just making this up. It's right. really happening. And here's why it's happening. Here's what, you know. Right. Um, and so we have a spreadsheet that I built for the VAs where every, every single client is in there, every single renewal. And they're the ones that are going in and dumping in the renewal premium and saying what percentage it is. Do they, what's their deductible? What ticket claims do we show on there? What, you know, what deductible on the home? They're, they're keying certain things that the agents can scroll really quickly through their alphabet split and go, okay, this one I want to read only has a 500. They should have a 1,000 or a 2,500 deductible. So we're approaching it that way to go in and kind of approach it and say, hey, we know what's happening. Here are some options for you. If you increase your deductible to this, here's the savings. If you increase your deductible to this, here's the savings. Um, we're also being very upfront with our clients with, and I've always done this though, with here's what changed on your policy when it's all of a sudden your deductibles for collision are going to be a flat thousand dollars because the company decided that. And we had one company that did decide that. So starting in March, those will, those emails will go out saying, Hey, we just want you to know this is a change in your policy. The carriers are responsible to do that, but I can tell you that unless they're putting it on the brightest fluorescent paper there is, our clients are not seeing it. So right. we're hopeful that when we have an email that's tagged correctly with important insurance change, you know, or something like that, that they're going to open and read that and know versus having a claim and then being upset with us because we didn't let them know. So we're okay. just doing a really proactive. And then we're also, I've let the agents know that there's so many clients shopping right now because of non-renewals of entire industries of apartments and homeowners condo associations of, you know, buildings that are over 20, apartment buildings over 25 years old. You have to go to the ENS market for some of this stuff. And, I, you know, I've told them up front, if we don't have coverage for these people already, you're not going to go play in the ENS market when you don't know the forms. You just aren't. Right. You know, I've right. read some of these forms and, and I know where some of the gaps are and some of the issues are. So if it's something that we as an agency decide as a client that we want to, you know, work with and, and go after, then I'm fine to do that. But 
it's I, I just think it's I think it's a huge ENL for agencies to be reacting to the flood that's coming in by trying to place every single person that comes to them. You can't place every single person that comes. You shouldn't. That's a good point. I don't think everybody knows that or thinks no. that same way. A lot of folks think no. I got to save every client I I can. Yeah. Because I it's my job, right. but it's not always the best interest of that client. Now, when I said this years ago, years and years ago, I said, you know, you have to give your CSRs permission to let a sale go and to fire a client. You do because mm -hmm. CSRs that are truly good are truly good because they have a great heart and they're going to want to, they don't want to upset you and lose a client and they don't want to upset the client and not do what they're asked to do. But when you're placing policies with carriers that you don't know anything about, or maybe their rating has dropped, which we've had a couple carriers in Michigan whose ratings have dropped. Um, and then we've got issues with our, you know, insurance because of that, you know, so you just have to, you have to look at it and say, there are some times when I look at, at a client and say, you know what, it's in your best interest to go here. They've got a lot more markets than we do and don't waste their time or yours collecting data. Send them off right, right away. Right. So I have thought of a follow-up question because earlier you talked about your demographics of your agency and you knew your numbers. You said 2.2 policies per household. Right. So most agency owners do track. That's a metric that they track. Right. So my question for you regarding that is, do you feel like, did you take a look at that and say, you know, this hard market, now we've been through almost a year of it. Uh, can 2.2 improve because of what's happening with this yeah, hard market? That's one of our goals is to improve that. And yet if I break off my book of business and look at how many are accounts that we write the property here for and maybe a car that they keep here, but I can't write their primary because it's in California. I'm not like, you know, I only have one right. company in other states. And so there's an, you know, there's one in Big Sky, Montana that I sent to an IAOA agent that's a huge account. And um, she emailed me this morning and said, thank you for putting me in touch with him. He's great to work with. Um, and I, it, you know, it, it really crushes me that I haven't been able to write her property out there in 20 years I've known her. So, right. um, you know, I, I think... Yeah. Yeah. That's my two cents, actually. <laughs> so do you have a number in mind? What can 2.2 improve to? I put it, yeah. And I put it to 2.3. But if you look at how many single dwelling fires that we write that are rental dwellings that people are buying in our state yeah, left and not right. Not much you can do with that. There's, yeah. yeah. And if I segment, and in fact, I, you know, in Hawksoft, you can see um, auto without home and home without auto. And how many with umbrellas. And I can tell you that our umbrella count is more than 50% of our clients have umbrellas that are in Michigan, because I can categorize by Michigan. So that's a big number that we have umbrellas with mm -hmm. that many clients. But for sure. Yeah. But again, the people that are residents in California or, you know, Wyoming or Arizona, we can't do anything with those. We can't. Right. Right. So. Cool. Well, Linda, I want to thank you for coming on today. I know our listeners are going to enjoy hearing what you have to say. You're always a pleasure. We appreciate you. You've been an IOA supporter for almost the full 10 yeah. years we've been in existence. Yep. You told me offline you were uh, like number 262. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that there's too many IOA members that know the number that they are. But that's pretty cool. We're closing in on a 10,000 mark, 10,000 yeah, in 10 years. It was never our goal to have a number yeah we, we just wanted to help as many people as we could mm -hmm. and, and that's has. still our, it's our still goal new, today and, so. and that's the thing dave is you know stuff happens in groups like that and but at the end of the day i tell people all the time i never ever would have the incredible group of agents that i can go to in different states for help with accounts for clients 
or just core group of friends and be in the a master, you know, the masterminds that I'm in because of it. Right. I wouldn't have met these people if it was not for you thinking yeah. of that, you know, starting that group and then adding the other guys and it wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, it was a so, cool accident to happen. It, was, it wasn't by design, but it's whatsoever. benefited people yeah. so much. So thank you. for that. And, and it's not on me. I don't take the credit. It's all those 10,000 members who bought into the vision and said, yeah. You know, I'm willing to share if you'll share with me. Exactly. And when you do that, we all become better together. Exactly. We've said that for years. So. Exactly. Thanks again, Linda. We appreciate you. We can fight the lizard together. <laughs> That's it. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming Thank on. You. Our listeners are going to love hearing you. And uh, it'll be uh, uh, posted here soon. And we will see you. Hopefully someday I'll get up to Traverse City, Michigan. Yeah. If I do, I'm going to buy you a cup of coffee. Well, let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll call it all coffee. Right. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Captain Dave uh, signing out from sunny Hendersonville, Tennessee. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Collabcast with IAOA with Captain Dave Jackson. Production and distribution by Podsquad.fm, Riverside.fm, and Spotify for podcasters. Special thanks to Little Dog Social Media, Terry Champion, and all our guests and listeners. If you're an independent insurance agency owner, please subscribe to our podcast weekly. You can also request to join our agency owner exclusive Facebook group, IAOA, or Insurance Agency Owners Alliance at IAOA.com. Captain Dave Jackson signs out from sunny Hendersonville, Tennessee.